Welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In early June, the Biden administration invoked the Defense Production Act in an effort to rebuild America's solar energy manufacturing supply chain. Simultaneously, the administration announced that it will prohibit for two years new tariffs on imports of solar panels from four Southeast Asian countries that are under investigation for illegal trade practices involving their solar industries. Through the complementary policies, the administration will seek to accelerate solar power development in the U.S. in the near term and in the longer term, displace solar imports and enhance U.S. energy security. The policies are controversial and have implications for domestic industry, the pace of decarbonization and the rule of law. On today's podcast, we're going to take a look at the administration's recent solar policy announcements and the potential of these policies to spur the development of a robust solar supply chain in the U.S., Much of our discussion will focus on industrial and trade policy and the competitiveness of U.S. industry in the global context. My guest is Robert Scott, Senior Economist and Director of Trade and Manufacturing Policy at the Economic Policy Institute. Robert will talk us through the policies and trade dynamics that led to China's dominance in global solar manufacturing. And we'll look at how the DPA and other industrial and trade policies might contribute to a resurgence in U.S. solar manufacturing. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Rob, I wonder if you could get us started here uh, with some context. What is the root of the international trade dispute involving PV equipment from China and the broader Southeast Asia region? Well, it's twofold. Uh, massive subsidies from China uh, starting in 2008 that resulted in a uh, in the imposition of uh, big tariffs, 250% tariffs on exports from China. Uh, Ch- China responded by uh, moving the production of uh, many of those goods to uh, four other countries in Southeast Asia. Uh, and there's now uh, a, a case before the the uh, uh, Commerce Department accusing them of uh, circumventing those massive duties by sh- shipping this production abroad. Uh, in addition, uh, President Trump imposed a 30% tariff on all uh, imports of solar panels and arrays uh, and cells uh, that took effect in 2018. And uh, the other big issue here is a more general overvaluation of the dollar, which makes U.S. imports artificially cheap, uh, subsidizes those imports, and then also put, uh, acts like a tax on U.S. exports, again, about 30%. So both of those things are at play here. So basically, we had an issue where illegal practices, uh, trade practices involving China, the United States slaps tariffs on those. The Commerce Department trade investigation now is looking if China has tried to circumvent those tariffs by uh, sending its production or doing its production in Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam, and then sending those products to the United States without being subject to the tariffs because, again, of the circumvention. Is that essentially what's going on here? Exactly. We're now playing whack-a-mole uh, with Chinese exports. 
Okay, so the Biden administration has invoked the Defense Production Act to grow the domestic solar supply chain and to counteract some of this, uh, the, the cost differential between the Chinese uh, and related solar panels and what is going on here in the United States. Can you provide us an overview of the significance of the act, the major components of it, what is in the act uh, that's supposed to spur the U.S. solar industry? And and I guess, has this ever been used before outside of a wartime scenario? Well, uh, the Defense Production Act was used by President Trump uh, to address some uh, supply chain issues during the COVID recession. So that was not a wartime uh, situation. So it has been used before outside of a wartime. Uh, it has not been tested, as far as I know, in the courts, uh, whether or not that's legal. Um, the, the, I think the major tools available in the Defense Production Act, I, I'm not an expert in this area, but they can uh, demand that uh, domestic producers uh, essentially use some or all of their capacities to meet uh, the need for government purchases of the products involved, whether they be steel for tanks or photovoltaic cells. Um, and they can allocate funding to pay for new capacity in factories or to purchase goods and services. Uh, but in order to make this work, uh, it requires uh, some purchases. And right now, the government doesn't purchase photovoltaic cells, uh, and it doesn't have funding yet. Of course, this order is only a week old, uh, but uh, there is yet, as yet, uh, no funding to pay for uh, either investments in plants or purchases of photovoltaic cells. Uh, in addition, to provide some context, uh, the order calls for the purchase of about um, 10 gigawatts of uh, photovoltaic capacity uh, over the next 10 years, about one gigawatt a year. Uh, and to put that in context, uh, last year we installed almost 30 gigawatts of photovoltaic cells in the United States. So it's, it really rep would represent at best about uh, 3% or less of uh, what's already going on in the domestic market. And Rob, I just want to acknowledge the other major part of all of this. That is the suspension of any new tariffs on solar module imports from four Southeast Asian countries. Uh, and the purpose of the administration in doing this is to ensure that a supply of uh, inexpensive solar modules continues to come into the country so that solar project development can continue at a strong pace. Is that correct? Yes. And to clarify, that's a, that's a trade dispute. Um, that involves uh, uh, the case at the Commerce Department. And essentially what Biden is trying to do here is to give with one hand uh, to the domestic producers by imposing this uh, uh, Defense Production Act order or announcing this order. Uh, and the other hand, he's taking away from domestic producers by uh, suspending tariffs on imports from the uh, from the South Asian countries you mentioned earlier. So it's a given one hand, take away with the other. So there's a trade policy on one side, there's an industrial policy on the other side. The trade policy is to uh, allow panels to come into the country. The uh, industrial policy side is to uh, rebuild the U.S. domestic uh, solar supply chain. Exactly. All right. So, so let's take a look at this. So essentially what it sounds like the administration is doing is using the DPA to reverse years of manufacturing outsourcing to countries with cheaper costs of production. In this case, obviously, we're talking about solar. 
is the invocation of the DPA combined with a two-year tariff-free window, in your view, going to be enough to achieve the Biden administration's goals? I mean, you you said we're looking at one gigawatt a year. Is this going to do it in itself? Or are we going to need additional industrial and trade policy frameworks going forward that might be based on the first little boost that the DPA would give the industry? Well, I think that the answer is in the data we've already discussed. One gigawatt out of 30 is not going to be a significant impact if that's even achieved, if the funding is even allocated uh, to purchase that one gigawatt worth of uh, domestically manufactured solar cells. So obviously, I think more is going to be needed in the future. Uh, I think we're going to have to allocate much more funding uh, at the federal level uh, to support the domestic solar industry. And I think we're going to have to directly address these trade imbalances. I think the the most effective way to do that, it's the single most important thing we can do, is to lower the value of the U.S. dollar or realign it, as I say, elsewhere. That's a major policy, right? It's a major policy. It's not just going to affect solar. It's going to affect everything that we export and import. Let's take a little bit more of a targeted view. So I, I, this is a, a broad trade issue that you're talking about here, sure. uh, the, the overvaluation of the dollar. Uh, but if we could focus here a little bit on the solar industry in particular, I've heard some talk, read some articles that mention potentially uh, some sort of tax on the carbon content of the solar panels that come into this country. Uh, China still gets about 60% of its electricity from coal versus I think a quarter or less of the electricity in the United States comes from coal. Could that be a basis for some sort of border tax, a carbon tax that might be effective in increasing the competitiveness of US solar manufacturing? Not only solar uh, manufacturing, but also other manufacturing, other energy intensive products, again, steel, aluminum, many products would benefit from a solar carbon tax. And that tax would not just apply to China. So we couldn't be, we wouldn't be accused of discrimination. It would be applied to products imported from all countries. Uh, And other countries use lots of coal and other dirty uh, fuels to make electricity. India comes to mind another major exporter of some of these products. So uh, yes, I think uh, there's no question a carbon tax could help. Um, In other circumstances, particularly uh, in the tariffs on steel and aluminum, I have suggested that we may need to negotiate more tariffs on unfair trade, the kind I talked about earlier, uh, but get other countries to also agree to do that so we can effectively use tariff policy to uh, fence uh, illegally traded commodities like uh, the Chinese uh, solar cells we talked about earlier to fence them out of world markets. And uh, to do that, we're also probably going to have to change our own domestic trade laws, which haven't been updated since 1998. Uh, So more than almost 30 years out here. So we need to uh, uh, address that issue as well. On the flip side of this, first question I have is on the industrial policy side here in the United States, it sounds like uh, if I if I'm reading this correctly, that we would need some pretty aggressive policies here, some significant interventions in the industry here to help build it out. If that's the case. Do we then run into a situation where we run afoul of WTO rules, meaning we oversupport the industry in the way that we say the Chinese have done? 
Well, there's a difference between the Chinese and what we're talking about here. China uh, poured $600 billion in subsidies into its its renewable energy industries, as I mentioned, and continues to do so. Uh, And they do it in a way that is designed to subsidize exports. Uh, In the United United States case, we're talking about building out the domestic industry in order to supply the domestic market. So we can use those subsidies to to support our own domestic production for domestic consumption, and that's very different. Uh, Secondly, um, there are issues related to, uh, and it gets gets to the Defense Production Act uh, and and so-called Buy America policies or Buy American. I think what Biden is trying to do here is to suggest that the government should have a preference for American-made solar cells He's trying to put that into laws and regulations. Uh, that may run afoul of the WTO, uh, government procurement agreement, and I, other uh, con- numerous people in Congress, and I have as well, have suggested that we need to consider withdrawing from that agreement, which we can do with six-month notice. This, is, this government procurement agreement has been, a, I think, unqualified failure. Other countries uh, honor it only in the breach, and we give away enormous amounts of government contracts to foreign suppliers. And this not, doesn't hurt us just in this industry, but for example, it's, uh, it uh, reduces our, our uh, security of our, our foreign policy establishment because we're over reliant on imported uh, technologies uh, from around the world. And this has had a big impact on military preparedness. So these are some big issues uh, that go beyond just the solar industry. Well, that over-reliance on the solar supply chain, I think, is one of the the issues that the Biden administration is trying to target here with these policies. You know, I want to ask you this. So is there a policy response that we might see from China that would set back the U.S. effort to build the solar supply chain here domestically in the United States? They're not going to just give this up if if that's what would happen. Oh, no. I, I think that that's true. Uh, China may try to counter U.S. subsidies with their own subsidies. And I think, again, we have to be prepared to be very aggressive in the use of our fair trade policies uh, to fence that kind of unfairly, those kind of unfairly traded products out uh, of their country. Uh, but China has a core problem here. They're incredibly dependent on exports uh, to the United States. Uh, we import, uh, uh, depends on how you count it, uh, anywhere between 300 and $600 billion worth of goods more from China than they, uh, than they buy from us. And now when I throw out those numbers, uh, the 300 is the direct trade imbalance. The 600 might include uh, uh, indirect imports of the kind we're talking about from Vietnam and Malaysia and other countries that repackage. Uh, Chinese goods. But overall, China has a global surplus of about a trillion dollars a year in manufactured products, and the vast majority of that ends up ultimately in the United States. Let me ask you a broader question here. So we've been talking about the DPA in the context of protecting and building the U.S. solar industry. The administration has also recently invoked the DPA to boost production of minerals that are needed for electric vehicle batteries, to grow domestic manufacturing capability for electric grid equipment, and is probably is more popularly and widely known to boost the production of baby formula uh, recently. Do you see the DPA, the Defense Production Act, as being a useful framework for the protection and development of the American industrial base in general? 
I think the DPA is one of, a range, of an array of tools that can be used, but I would have to say honestly that it's a, a third or fourth best choice. I think a better choice is, uh, and this is needed essentially in order to make the DPA work, is to increase direct government purchases of the products you're talking about, everything ranging from formula to photovoltaic cells, uh, and uh, you know, uh, by American policies, uh, etc. Uh, as I said earlier, the first best policy is uh, is to address the overvaluation of the U.S. dollar, and that's the best thing we can do. Uh, in addition, there are other uh, uh, regulations the president can use to address that. I mean, part of his problem is that he can't get Congress to approve anything. The, uh, the old Back Better Act died uh, uh, in the Congress this year. It's not clear if it's coming back at hundreds of billions of dollars of, of, of uh, investments that would be made in these kinds of industries, especially the, the clean energy industries, the battery and the, full, uh, and the solar cell industries. Well, that was that was canceled by Congress. So I think the president is looking for things that he can do administratively with the stroke of a pen. And so that's what we're seeing here. But these are not the most effective tools available. Interesting. So build back better would be a significant uh, advance here, you think? I think that, uh, you know, rank ordering uh, the build back better is, would have probably 10 times as big an impact on production, domestic production of solar cells. Uh -huh. uh, than would uh, the, D the DP Act. And, and uh, rebalancing trade uh, with the dollar, again, would probably have another tenfold higher impact, both direct and indirect, uh, on all industries, not just solar cells. So the DPA is the tool that we've got, not the best, but it's a tool we've got. So let's jump back in history a little, little bit here then, looking for some precedents here. So the U.S. has relied on industrial policy to secure energy security in the past, right? Uh, a great example is the 1970s and the oil crisis, the two oil crises of that, of that decade. The U.S. responded by building out a domestic uh, oil value chain. Mm -hmm. Are there any takeaways from that experience, which was successful, I think, Yes, that could lead us to a fully functional domestic renewable energy value chain, again, on a timeline that lines up with the stated, you know, global climate commitments under the Paris Agreement and, and everything else. Sure. Well, uh, in terms of the energy, energy policy, uh, again, that illustrates, I think, the core point that uh, markets work best uh, when they're guided to some extent by uh, the hand of government. Uh, uh, you know, if we go back to 1973 in the oil crisis, and I started my career, and I followed that industry pretty closely for a while, um, we used to be a massive importer of, of crude oil and refined products. Uh, and that was true as, as recently as uh, uh, four or five years ago. We were still a massive net importer. But around 10 years ago, we had the shale oil innovation, and suddenly we began to produce more oil here. And what really spurred production in the U.S. was periods of very high oil prices. So the, the price mechanism works. If you make it competitive to produce energy in the United States, we will do it. And most of it, that work will be done by the private sector. And we are now today a significant net energy exporter. So that's no longer a problem on our trade accounts. That's why I emphasize 
realigning the dollar is the single best thing we can do. It, it is a, a price-based mechanism for stimulating the domestic industry. Uh, but beyond that, as you say, there are other industrial policies, uh, direct purchases of uh, uh, photovoltaic cells and windmills and other technologies, which can then harness the power of the Defense Production Act to require that those goods are produced in the U.S. and to help expand the domestic production base. Uh, we can fund uh, capacity for the domestic producers uh, to, to, to build uh, these arrays for the federal government. But we have to be, become a big buyer in the first place for, for those strategies to work. Rob, before we finish up here, uh, I want to address the issue of human rights abuses and forced labor in the province of Xianjing, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That is a province in China, which is the largest source of polysilicon, which is a, a key uh, fundamental material in the production of uh, solar cells and solar modules. You know, in 2021, the United States banned imports of polysilicon from that province, as well as uh, any products produced in China or elsewhere that are used making polysilicon from the province, or I think more specifically, certain companies that operate in that province. Uh, to what extent is this going to be a liability for China and potentially impact I guess, the competitiveness of its solar industry going forward? I think that's up to China. Part of the problem uh, is uh, Jiang I can pronounce, can't pronounce it either <laughs> region, uh, but uh, is it is uh, that this is where China has uh, imprisoned tens of thousands or millions of Yurker uh, uh, ethnic or, uh, origin uh, uh, Chinese and uh, uh, they're forced to work in these camps uh, in unpaid labor, uh, producing polysilicon and many other products. And so that's the core issue. Um, China is trying to disguise whether the companies are using this uh, product or not. So it's going to be another whack-a-mole situation. I, I think this can be an important uh, issue in the industry, but ultimately China has the choice as to whether or not they pay workers. Uh, it's a very simple choice. If they want to pay their workers in these sectors uh, a fair uh, wage in China, then they can uh, get around this problem. We still have the fact that China's got these made these massive investments, uh, illegal sub, and provided these illegal, illegal subsidies to this industry, and continues to and to make these cells with uh, uh, dirty, uh, subsidized, uh, uh, coal-fired electricity. And so those are those two larger issues. I think will remain even if we can uh, get the uh, the uh, forced labor out of the Chinese supply chain. Okay, let me ask you a final question here. Sometimes I ask guests on the show to to pull out the crystal ball. If we look at a decade down the road, do you think that there will be a, in your view, a material expansion of a competitive U.S. solar supply chain that will result either out of the DPA and some other industrial policies or, or whatever framework might might bring us to that point? I'm very hopeful that we will develop a much stronger domestic supply chain uh, in, uh, in photovoltaic cells and many other industries. I think during the COVID crisis, we've come to recognize that becoming overly dependent on these uh, foreign supply chains has very great costs and risks, uh, not just directly in terms of lost jobs, but also in terms of our vulnerability to supply disruptions, which will cause these huge bursts of inflation. 
over the past two years. So I, I think as a result, there will be much more interest in the future in sourcing products domestically. Uh, and we will use all the tools available to make that happen. I'm very hopeful in that regard. Rob, thanks very much for talking. Thank you for having me, Andy. Today's guest has been Robert Scott, Senior Economist and Director of Trade and Manufacturing Policy Research at the Economic Policy Institute. Visit the Climate Center's website for more podcasts, as well as energy policy research and blog posts. To keep up with the latest from the Center, subscribe to our monthly newsletter on our website. Our address is kleinmanenergy.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now, and have a great day.